Yeah, if evangelism was easy, we'd do it a lot more often, right? Yeah, if we just kind of opened our mouths and people just boom converted, we wouldn't even have to have this talk. <coughs> but as it is, I mean, one of the most intimidating factors regarding evangelism is fear, right? So we'll talk, maybe, you know, I'm sure you guys have no fear in evangelism, but you might know some people who do, right? Well, why would people, um, you know, be afraid of sharing the faith? What, what exactly are they afraid of? There's a multitude of answers here, okay? What do you guys think? Why are people, why are other people afraid to share their faith? Rejection. What do they hear? What was that? Rejection. Rejection, okay. I think that's an obvious one, right? So what does, um, what does rejection look like in this day and age, right? How do you, how does that show itself? Get canceled. Get canceled? Mm-hmm. You might lose your internet platform. It could also be a fear of people. Fearing okay. people as opposed to fearing God. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, what are we afraid they're going to do? Ridicule us, shun us, exclude us. Mm -hmm. Right? For maybe a high school student, I mean, that's a real. You're mm -hmm. going to have to eat at eat lunch alone, nobody will want to be your friend, right? That'd be a genuine fear. Yeah, what else? As we get older, what are we afraid of? We have changed in relationships, like especially if it's somebody, you know, we know better. Yeah. So that's why, like, sharing with family is pretty kind of challenging because what happens if it doesn't go well right I mean you guys aren't going anywhere <laughs> every uh, there'll be kind of a chill and you'll just have like this permanent off-limits conversation topic other thoughts on why it's kind of um, scary to share your faith feeling inadequate okay You kind of know if, you know if you're if the person at the office laughing at the dirty jokes and telling dirty jokes, and then you turn around and share the gospel. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you know you're going to get it. And rightfully so, right? Other thoughts? And why it's kind of difficult? How about this? Maybe fear of like, you're going to just confuse the other person. That if you open your mouth, you're just going to you're going to look like an idiot and just do a terrible job of representing Christ because you can't even answer these questions, right? Yeah, I was um, reading an article about the differences in evangelism today versus um, ten years ago, <coughs> and ten years ago. Uh, the type of questions you had to answer were, how do you know that the Bible is the word of God? Why is Jesus the only way? You know, how could a loving God send people to hell? Nowadays, it's like, you know, how do you justify the Bible's um, slavery in the Bible? Right? How do you uh, justify that women can't be in leadership in the Bible? You know, how do you, you know, justify that the Bible is used as a, as a book that has just oppressed people in the LGBT community? Right? Or how do you 
how do you justify apparent acts of genocide in the Bible? All right, so those are all the, you know, that's kind of the new apologetic. And, and I remember reading that and thinking, boy, how would I? I'm, I'm so, like, keyed in on how to answer that first set of questions and this next set, I'm like, ooh, how do I kind of bring that up? Does that make sense? Because you kind of know that people are kind of armed to kind of, like, go after you with that. And, and nobody likes looking like an idiot. Okay, other thoughts on why it might be scary to share your faith? Or, or maybe how does this world try to intimidate Christians from sharing their faith? Noah, would you say something? I, I think like in general, the like media portrays it as weird or uh -huh. uh, so it's easy to be embarrassed of what you believe uh -huh. instead of confident in what you believe. Yeah, you should be embarrassed. Nobody, nobody believes what you believe. Yeah, you're weird. Yeah. How else might you know this world try to intimidate Christians from sharing their faith? Hater, backwards, unthinking. Judgmental. Judgmental. Yeah, Christian nationalist. That's the. Yeah, yeah you're a Christian nationalist, yeah. right? That's like right up there with Nazis. Nazis were nationalists. <laughs> so are. It, yeah, I've heard that you know that well. If you're a Christian, you're a terrorist. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah. Other ways to try to intimidate you. Intimidate us. Well, the big buzzword is separation of church and state. Yeah. This, that, this is inappropriate. You mm -hmm. can't talk about this. Yeah. To be in polite society, you have to leave yeah, the church I, out of it. I had a coworker that um, it started as a, they made a post on social media, and I just sent him a personal message and said, it was kind of a, like a challenging kind of thing, like, can you answer these questions, like, of Christians mm -hmm. about an issue? And um, I sent sent this coworker a personal message saying, you know, I would love to just have a conversation and mm -hmm. try and answer those things. And um, so the way that they shut it down was, I value our our relationship too much, and I feel like that this would this would drive something between us, and I'm not. Yeah. Disrupt the friendship, you know. So yeah. there was there was a on one hand, I want answers to this question. Okay, I would love to answer this. Yeah. No, I don't. I do not want. I do not. I don't want them from you. <laughs> you know? So yeah, and it's a like little, and there's a little it, bit. I'm of just. A, I want to value. I want to keep an arm's length distance of really talking yeah. about anything. And that had a dual purpose too, right? Like if you talk about this with me, it will end our friendship. Yeah, it's kind of like I can't. It's not, not okay for us to talk about. Yeah. We're going to say something to that. I mean, I think that we're, we've moved past the era where let's sit and discuss and try to find out what's true, right? And mm -hmm. so now it's just they've decided that this is not good. Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of let's sit down and discuss whether it's true. I mean, so yeah. I think we know that, right? We, hear, we see the, the, the stories about you know, the firefighter who hands out a Bible study on his own time, people who want it, mm -hmm. somebody turns him in, he loses his job. Yeah. You know, like, who wants to put a target on their head? Yeah. So, I mean, I think just even the stories we hear convey the message to us, shut up, keep it to yourself, don't bring it into the public square or into your job or into mm -hmm. your families, mm -hmm. or this is what will do for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think anytime it has the potential to affect your livelihood, 
whether you're in business or you know you're sharing in the workplace i think people are very afraid of taking that mm-hmm. the gospel message into that for fear yeah. because yeah. we've seen it like like you said we've seen mm-hmm. in the news many people who've mm-hmm. been shunned for their business not accepting yeah. certain things or right. yeah. against their faith and that's just not acceptable anymore yeah and so there's major intimidation and i think one of the big lies that um this world wants you to believe is that people don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right? People don't really want to hear it. But, you know, I'm amazed. I mean, that spiritual hunger and that appetite is still there. But it's like, who can these people even turn to? Yeah, because the whole world is telling them, do not explore this part of your life. And uh, that's why it's really important that, you know, we kind of stand up to that, mm-hmm. let it be known. What I like to say is come out of the closet as a Christian so that, um, you know, and, and I look at, you know, Julia's story, right, where she just invited people to church. And what do you know, two weeks beforehand, some girl just said, I decided to become a Christian. I have no idea what that means. but and I have no idea what that means, but I decided to become a Christian. So, yeah, of course I go. Do you know what I'm saying? But if everyone's just kind of silent about it, you don't know. And I, I do think, um, like, the way the world has set itself and how the loud voices are really kind of, kind of creating a reverse puritanism. puritanism. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It, it is truly an oppressive environment, and if we feel this way, a lot of other people feel this way too, <laughs> that there's plenty of opportunities, and Christianity could be countercultural. You know what I'm saying? We're kind of giving people mm-hmm. a better way, and, and I just think that the, the new gospel that's preached today sucks. <laughs> right? There's, it, it just is. It's like, how is that even good news? Um, so... That's why it's really important for us to think rightly about what is the worst thing an unbeliever can do to you? What's the worst thing? If we were to play worst case scenario, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Not a trick question. Short of death, it's destroy your ability to maintain your, your family, your yeah. work environment, your living, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, so short of death, right? So I, I think the worst thing that somebody can do to you, I've thought about it in my reading of church history, is either being fed to wild animals or being burned at the stake without gunpowder on your head. Right, those were the two, like, those are the worst things that I can see happen, <coughs> right? Now, I kind of use those on purpose, right? Because if you kind of know church history, what happened when they fed the Christians to the lions? Revival. Revival. And what happened when, um, you know, Bloody Mary started burning pastors at the stake? Revival, right? And so that's the worst thing that can happen. And we talked a little bit about um, how do non-Christians typically oppose evangelism. I think right now it's intimidation, kind of like what Becky said. Is It's not a discussion about whether or not it's true, about whether or not it's it's good, and the assumption is it's not good. It's not good. But what does Paul promise to those who desire to be godly for a dwelling passage? Somebody want to read that for me? Second Peter 3.12? Yeah, right? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay. So, if you were to have like a little devotional about the promises of God, you know, I'm going to pray this promise of God. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Loan with you always to the end of the earth. Or seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Right? We love those promises, right? 
But imagine you kind of flip the, <laughs> you flip the page. And my promise for today is, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Why do you think that is? Well, I think that uh, Christ promised us that we would go through the same sufferings he went through. And as long as I'm not being crucified today, literally on a stake, uh -huh. that it's less suffering than he went through. Yeah. So we're expected to suffer, mm -hmm. and it's just normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, I think we kind of have like this, this culture where if somebody's getting persecuted for evangelism, okay, like let's say you work with three other Christians at your office, you try to share your faith, and you get tremendous blowback, okay? What might those other Christians think about that? How would they maybe justify not being as bold as you are? Not the appropriate place. Not the appropriate place. Okay. What else might they say to themselves? So and so's doing it for you know, like there's already someone sharing. Yeah, I don't have to. But I think a lot of times what, what maybe some Christians will do is like, that person's doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if somebody is suffering for the gospel, it's because they're doing it wrong. They're too bold. You know, they're not tactful. They're not being winsome. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I think the enemy of evangelism is not necessarily non-Christians. I think it's Christians shaming somebody who's more bold into saying you need to pull it back a little bit. And there is a story about D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody was like the Billy Graham of the late 1900s, or late uh, 1800s. Exceptionally popular evangelist. And he was sharing uh, the gospel during one of his crusades, and he had this, and this woman came up afterwards and just gave him all these critiques about how he was sharing the gospel. And so he asked her, so, okay, so when you share the gospel, what do you do? Uh, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I prefer my way of sharing the gospel to your way of not sharing the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so that's why, I mean, I'm always very reluctant to criticize how somebody shares the gospel. Right? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the fact of the matter is, I think there's this fiction that if you share the gospel in the right in the right way and the right manner and you're winsome um, the gospel will one be believed and you won't be persecuted so you got to earn the right to share your faith you've got to be friends with them for five years before you share your faith and if you do it in the right way in the right manner you won't be persecuted but what's the problem with that can you think of any Famous exceptions to that rule. <laughs> I guarantee tomorrow. I guarantee tomorrow. So, you, so you're, you know, you, if you don't do it, and down the road you say, well, I, you know, I really need to do that to talk to them about that, and now they're gone. And uh -huh. I didn't get a chance to do it. So. Yeah. 
anything that's really worthwhile that you're not going to suffer for, sacrifice yeah. for. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, yeah. if, if you're not, usually it's pretty shallow and not mm-hmm. really that important. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. I mean, is there any person who's ever lived, who, like, who's the most gracious and winsome person who ever lived? Jesus, right? There you go. You got it. You got it. Right? He's the most gracious and winsome person who's ever lived. It, was there a finer evangelist on this earth than Jesus Christ? Right? And and what did they do to him? Right? They crucified him. Right? So I think part of it is, you know, if you're going to be committed to sharing the faith, it's like, I've got to just accept the fact that I'm going to suffer. Right? So, I mean, one way to get over your fear of evangelism is to say, okay, I'll never suffer. And I'll share my that gospel in such a way that I'll never suffer. Well, you can just kiss that goodbye. That's not going to happen. You will suffer when you share the gospel. Now, when people are afraid of suffering, they, they're afraid that suffering does something bad, right? So you've got to be convinced that suffering actually does something good. All those who are godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here's an example of how suffering does something good. Let's read Colossians uh, 1, 24. Somebody want to read that for me? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Okay, so first question is, for whom does Paul suffer? Right, according to that sake. sentence, huh? For their sake. For their sake, right? For the church, right? So he is suffering for them. And then he says something that almost seems heretical, right? You guys kind of catch that? Filling up what is lacking in what? Christ's Christ's afflictions. I mean, why does that strike you as like off? You know it's in the Bible, but why does that kind of strike you as a little bit, I'm not sure what to make of this. Yeah, how not what he's saying, that's what it sounds like. That is kind of what it sounds like, right? And so, um, so how do you make sense of this passage? And, and there's a couple ways to interpret this. One is, um, yeah, this world has a certain degree of hatred towards Christ, and if they can't hurt Christ, they try to hurt his people, mm-hmm. right? That's one way. And uh, there's another way, which I think I kind of lean towards, and... Um, you kind of see that word complete and lacking in another context in Paul, specifically in Philippians. Now, Philippians is kind of Paul's support letter where he thanks the Philippians church because they raised a bunch of money for him while he was in prison. They gave it to a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus nearly died transporting that gift of money to Paul. And so, somebody want to read uh, Philippians 2, 29-30? So I receive him in the Lord with all joy such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, mm-hmm. risking his life to complete what was lacking in their service to me. Okay, so what was lacking, and how did Epaphroditus complete it? Okay, remember, what was their service to Paul? I kind of gave you a little bit of the background. Mm-hmm. It was to do what? To support him, right? So, hey, Philippian church, 
we're going to send some money to Paul. We're going to do a little <coughs> campaign. We've got this thermometer up here. You know, <laughs> you know, when we reach the top, we've got a messenger over here. Here's Epaphroditus, right? So they raise the money for what is lacking, but what also has to happen? Paul has to receive it. He has to receive it, right? And so you can't just Western Union it. You can't do... You know, transfer. What's that new app that people use to pay money? Venmo. Venmo. Venmo yeah. Never use it. Never will. But uh, <laughs> I hear is helpful. Okay. So, so like Epaphroditus, I mean, how does Paul complete what's lacking? Right. So you kind of have like, you know, the provisions there, but it has to be transported, right? So on the cross, what did Jesus do? Died for our sins. Died for our sins. Right. That was the atonement. But for that to be activated, so to speak, right, what has to happen? Has to get, the message has to get to people. Yeah, the message has to get to people, right? People can't get saved unless they hear uh, the gospel. So here's the central point. Just like Epaphroditus had to complete the commission given to him to give the love offering to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles had to complete the task given to him to take the gospel to the church. As Paul does so, he suffers. He replicating the central figure in the message he proclaims, right? So it's a, you know, it's a chance to basically replicate Christ, where his suffering made the gospel possible, right? Uh, where Paul's suffering makes the gospel accessible. So how did Paul suffer when sharing the gospel? Yes. Think of different ways he suffered. He was beaten. He was beat. Right? In jail. Jail. Stone. What's that? Stone. Stone, yep. <coughs> I like to say pelted with stone, so that people don't get the wrong idea. <laughs> Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Brought up in court multiple times. Yeah. Imprisoned. Imprisoned. Yeah, people following him around, like trying to undo his ministry. He was shunned by his people. Mm-hmm. Shunned by his people, yeah. He lived outside, he goes to that whole list of sufferings to you made and uh-huh. no food, no shelter, no clean clothes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, did he see his suffering as a bad thing? No. He rejoiced does. in it. What was that? He rejoiced in rejoiced it. Rejoiced in it. It, it kind of um, amplifies the gospel. Yeah, and here's a, I'll just read this to you. This is a story from Oswald Sanders that I got from John Piper of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many, and after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel, but was driven out of town and rejected. So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and lay down under a tree and slept from exhaustion. When he awoke, people were hovering over him, and the whole town was gathered around to hear him speak. The headman of the village explained that they came to look him over while he was sleeping. When they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that he must be a holy man and that they had been evil to reject him. They were sorry and wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring to them. So the evangelist filled up the afflictions of Jesus with his beautiful blistered feet. In the same way, when we suffer to share the gospel, we convey the message that the gospel is worth suffering for. So how does suffering for the gospel enhance its power? Right, how? Well, I think of Elizabeth Elliot and her going back to the Indians that killed her husband. Oh, man, yeah. And 
the way, that becoming Elizabeth Buckley is amazing. Yep. Um, the way she lived and completely yeah. deprived life yep. in order to share the gospel. And they accepted her because yep. she came to them after they killed her husband. Yeah. You know, I actually saw Elizabeth Elliot when I was in Hungary. She spoke at a conference in our town. And she is, she was this dignified woman that when you met her, you, you wanted her to like you desperately. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just the way she carried herself. I mean, just really one of the legendary Christian figures, I think, of this last century. I'd say her and Johnny Erickson Tata are probably like the two like towering figures of 20th century evangelical Christianity. So, yeah, but I think that's a great, great story. Other thoughts? On how suffering enhances. I was going through boxes for the martyrs the other oh, day, man. just browsing. And it was amazing that they would, you would talk about the fact that these people were suffering, eaten by animals, burned at the stake, all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. And people watching them go through that without murmuring or, or giving up their faith and all of this sort of stuff. They were suffering and even unto death. And they were being convicted to the place where they had Roman soldiers that say, nope, I gotta go with him. Yeah. And be executed along with the person that they were supposedly there to execute. Yeah. And so you see where that that <coughs> commitment mm -hmm. to standing firm in the faith, being out there, um, again caused a revival. Yeah. People <coughs> watch this and said, How can they possibly do this? Yeah. And were convicted by it. Yeah. Yeah, I think at a certain point in time, I mean, this world thinks if you give them enough persecution, they'll just shut up. But when they don't, it's like, oh, you mean they would actually rather die than shut up? Okay, and they just keep on killing people, and it kind of actually grows the church because everyone sees that these people have just true conviction, and they'd rather die than, than do that. So that's, that's often you know, what happens. Right. When you suffer righteously, you get martyred in the right way. Well, yeah. the suffering becomes your witness. I mean, that's, that's yeah. ultimately what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It also has a tremendous effect, not only on the unbelieving world, but all, as we were talking about, when you, um, the co workers that, you know, one suffers for, for sharing the gospel many times, that if you um, are being. Tempted to stay silent, <coughs> and you witness or see someone faithful, and they suffer, and they're enduring it, and saying that that's it's emboldening, it's encouraging to see people, and oftentimes, yeah, it leads others to follow in that example. Yeah, because you have like these, you know, these powerful people who are like pressing down on the Christian hardcore, and the Christians respond with grace and kindness. Then you kind of have like this audience who's watching over here, right? And what's going through their mind? Well, and don't cross these people. But they'll pull the Nicodemus, you know, where at night they might approach the Christian and just say, so what's going on here? You know, I see what's happened. Right? And I think we're going to see that more and more as, um, you know, the enemies of Christ just are increasingly nasty, mean, vindictive, um, really try to intimidate people into conformity. I mean, that's just kind of a, I mean, that's just straight-out oppression. Um, 
by a minority over the majority and they tell everybody who's part of the majority that you're actually a minority, that this is the actual thought that, that should dominate the day. So I think there's gonna be great opportunities here, but there just has to be a willingness on the part of Christians to suffer, to be misunderstood, to be treated unfairly, and look to you know, Christ to vindicate you, not Fox News or something like that. Right. Um, so what does God promise to those who suffer for his sake? Now should this impact the gospel presentation? Somebody want to re read Matthew 5, 10 through 12? <coughs> Cole, do you have that? Yep. Uh, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is in heaven, in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. So what's the promise to those who suffer? The reward in heaven will be great. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I look at it as, um, you know, if you ever play football and you think getting tackled is like the worst thing in the world and then you get tackled the first time and in most cases you, you walk away thinking okay well it wasn't that bad right or if you think that getting persecuted is the worst thing in the world and then you get persecuted it's kind of like you know what I'm actually being persecuted for Christ you know this is what Christ experienced there's deep fellowship that I, ha I think i he knows what I'm going through, and now I know what he's going through, right? There is a, it is an honor to suffer for his name. Do you know what I'm saying? So you kind of take that first hit. It's like, you know, that wasn't that, that bad, right? And there's a, um, yeah, I think there's a sense, okay, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to use a worldwide wrestling federation <laughs> analogy. But stop stop back, the tape for a second. Stop the tape, yeah. <laughs> Back in my pagan days, right? <laughs> uh, back in the 80s, the biggest wrestling superstar was Hulk Hogan. Right? And, and they would, yeah, they always had like the Saturday night main event. And my, my parents were always out. And so, you know, I watched it. And he was always a headliner. And it was always the same formula where Hulk Hogan is clearly the superior, you know, wrestler. He's just wailing on, you know, Jesse the Body Ventura or just some other nemesis. And he gets distracted. They distract the referee, right? And then two other wrestlers come in and they like have like this three on one where they just kind of beat him up. Then when the referee kind of comes to his senses, he turns around and the you know the henchmen are gone. And Hulk Hogan is, you know, about to be pinned. And so the way they pin you is they drop your hand and then it goes to the ground. They drop her hand, it goes to the ground, and the whole crowd is just pleading with Hulk to wake up, don't let them do this to you. And then they drop it again, and, and it goes, and he just stops it about six inches from the, from the mat, and he just starts raising his hand, and the whole crowd is just giving him energy, and he does this, and then he starts wagging his finger, <laughs> right? And, and this guy's like, what's going on? He pounds him, and he gets on his knees, 
and he keeps on pounding Hulk Hogan, and you just see the fear rising in this guy's eyes as Hulk Hogan is about to go all Hulk on him. And you know, I fell for it every time. I loved it. I loved it. And he just seems like, oh. you know, he's like, keep on punching me, and, and each punch gives him more strength. And so I think about that. I think about that and I, when I read the Bible. In uh, Philippians 1, 27-30, it says, Only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Right? As they're persecuting the Christian, and the Christian is unimpacted, you know, by that persecution. You know, they have that look of terror, like they just hit Hulk Hogan and he's gathering in strength, right? They're actually accentuating the witness. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we're trying to kill off these Christians, but they're still dying. Right? There is a, uh, there's kind of the fear that they know something that we don't know, that, that maybe we can't control them. Maybe there's something more powerful that's governing them than that's what's governing us, right? It's a, it's a terrifying thing. And you look at how Christianity, I mean, basically broke the back of Rome, right? All empires, you know, countries come and go, but Christianity has gained in strength, you know? And it's kind of like in the West, in the West, they tried to squeeze Christianity, right? And it bled over to the southern countries of Africa and South America, and you look at China, where they tried to squeeze Christianity and it's just exploded. And so as much as I think this world wants you to think that we're losing, right, and that nobody wants to hear it, I mean, Christianity has a tremendous grip on this world, and it is growing. And so just, so as they persecute, there's just, more, more fear. And they've even realized that too, like in various Soviet bloc countries, if you persecute the Christians too much, uh, the church actually grows, so it's that, that, oh, we better back off on that a little bit. Yeah, it's better to make them fat and happy and prosperous. That's the best way to diminish them. So, um, but you know, how can just transforming your view of suffering help you overcome your fear of evangelism? What do you think? I think we're pretty dramatic too when you think about it. None of us are going to be barefoot in India or yeah. pelted by stones. I mean, realistically speaking, it's pretty mild. You as well as like a lot of the church mm -hmm. fathers back in history. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. Somebody might be mean to you for a couple minutes. Get over yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think we build it up in our head as this horrible thing that it's just going to be. People don't want to hear it, or we we gave all these reasons, mm -hmm. but it's so mild. I mean, it's not even really suffering. I mean, if you want to really look yeah. at it, I mean, golly. Yeah, and if it does become intense, um, it's pretty awesome. And I, I really mean that. I think I'm trying to think of the time I've uh, like the most I ever suffered in evangelism is doing street preaching, and. Burbank, California. And that's like, you know, evangelism commando style. I mean, it's, because uh, <laughs> people don't have to be nice to you. 
Yeah, they don't have to be nice to you. They can say everything they've always wanted to say without fear of breaking a friendship. Right, Ryan? So Ryan's one of my protégés. Did I ever take you out street? I also went, yeah. A couple times, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we'd go out on, on Friday night on San Fernando and just kind of talk to people. And I remember um, probably the most intense night of evangelism. I was speaking to, you know, three people, and they were all, all goths. They told me they were practicing Wiccans. And one of them wanted to hear what I had to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of going through the gospel with her. In the meantime, the other two are just like, get away, he's trying to brainwash you. They're just heckling me the whole time. And then, um, right when I was about to get to the good news, they literally picked her up, or dragging her away, and I just put a tract in her hand so that she can finish it. And they took her across the street, then they held the tract in front of me, and they actually lit it on fire. And they let it burn, and then went away. And so, I mean, that was it. So I ended up running into them later on, and I told the girl that, um, you know, I wasn't able to finish what I started. So I kind of finished the gospel with them, and that's when this guy just started laying into me. And I basically called him a servant of Satan who's trying to be a stumbling block to this woman, and God will judge you for what you're about to do. You know, it got really intense. Then the police came by. <laughs> and uh, I was with Forrest uh, Bichelle, by the way. He's this, you know, really shy art student. <laughs> and he's just standing there. <laughs> and so then we kind of, like, trailed away a little bit. And uh, he said, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> and it was, my, it was intense, right? I mean, so that's probably the most I've been persecuted. I mean, I mean, I did keep a safe distance, you know, because I wasn't sure if the guy was armed or had a knife. But, you know, that's where you just saw the rage and the anger. But, you know, that was very revealing for me. It's like we read that the world hates God. And we're like, no, nah, they're just so not. But what do you know they actually do? They actually do. And I've, I've found that when I share the gospel, even when it goes poorly and they reject it, it's like what the Bible says about the human heart is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Wow. Did they get it right? And people really do hate Jesus Christ. You read about it, you think, oh, no, they're all, well, that's not the case. Does that make sense? So suffering, even when it goes poorly and badly, and that went pretty badly, right? Uh, I'm sure that girl who I shared with will probably remember that for the rest of her life, and you never know, right? Yeah, she saw that as willing to re-engage and keep on talking to her. But, um, and that's not, I'm not saying you have to do that all the time <laughs> but that was uniquely intense right so and if that guy could have killed me he probably would have tried right I but you saw that I yeah. think it's encouraging to keep up with what is happening to Christians around the world because even yeah. though it is heating up here when you see the true suffering of churches and yeah. hiding in your home to have services and all these things around the world that are truly just awful it's encouraging to us yeah. to you know, that I can't be bold at soccer practice, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, is a reinvigorating yeah. kind of reason that we, we do this. This, this yeah. church, you know, you know, worldwide church of people who all are following in the same thing, it's yeah. just encouraging to remember. Question, do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is? I'm gonna guess the country? Iran. Iran. Iran has the fastest growing church in the world. I mean, we, last year we baptized an Iranian. 
And what's happening is that country was just so oppressive for so long um, that there's this underground movement where there's just huge numbers of people. Like it's in like 150,000 Christians now. I mean, it's an unbelievable number that are coming to faith there, right? Yeah, and in one sense, like you said, I mean, sometimes the the greatest enemy of the gospel is the, the prosperi- prosperity yeah. and giving you everything that your flesh wants. And yeah. So sometimes comfort is the greatest. Yeah, because you're afraid that the comfort will be taken away. The, the believers are afraid of losing the comfort, and the people who are lost don't have, they aren't aware of their need. They're, they're yeah. insulated from death, and, you know, they have medicine Mm-hmm. Poverty, and they're insulated from all those things, and so they're not aware of their need. And the people who have the hope for them are mm-hmm. afraid of losing. So, yeah. in one sense, that's you know, suffering is a, a, a stripping away of that hindrance that mm-hmm. to both to be able to see that really what what's going on in their life. Yeah, when you lose everything, you have nothing left to lose. I think the American church in general struggles with the theology of suffering because. Yeah of the prosperity in our society mm-hmm. and um, I mean most of us are comfortable mm-hmm. in general and it's it's easier to lean towards the health and wealth than the suffering theology because mm-hmm. it's easier it's mm-hmm. easier to think that God wants me to be healthy and wealthy and comfortable mm-hmm. than to think that he wants me to suffer for him mm-hmm. so I, I think just our flesh leans that yeah. way, instead of seeing that we are, well, two things, Jesus promised we would have trouble in this yeah. world, and number two, we are to participate in his suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times when you look at, you know, the prosperity gospel, it's the, there's a tension between, you know, the, the good life and the better life, right? <coughs> you know, this is about giving people better lives, versus you know, suffering makes the issue really clear, but the issue is between life and death. You know, eternity and where you go. And so I think when you have more of a therapeutic Christianity, it's about can you have a better life than what you have right now? Can you have your best life now? Go ahead and paint it. Pastor. Versus, you know, this is really life and death. And this is so important. This is an issue of, um, you know, it's like warning your, your neighbor that your chimney's on fire, right? Your chimney's on fire and you're knocking on the door and you need to get out of here and you're willing to go through some suffering because it's a life and death issue. And I think when people are afraid of suffering it's because their gospel is about being good or better and this might demote me from the better life to just a good life. I'm not willing to sacrifice that. Whereas we see martyrs and they're willing to give up their life because the issue is just so important. Right? So yeah, suffering, it, it amplifies the gospel. Now I'm not telling you to go out and be like, rush into martyrdom, right? And um, you know, be a, you know, stir things up so you get stoned right away. I mean, there's a level of winsomeness, strategy, mm-hmm. understanding the best tactics, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I would say that the bold approach in Emporia, you have to be a little bit more patient in engagement here. Yeah, yeah I was just gonna say, um one of the things that kind of, I think maybe we forget too, when you think about those, those things that we fear that, that keep us from sharing the gospel is that sometimes we have too low a view of Christ and what he's called us to and what mm-hmm. he commands. Like today we're reading from Luke 
if anyone would ha come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the, the Father and of the holy angels. Mm -hmm. And so he's calling us, and I think sometimes there's this, like it's almost like it's an optional thing, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. instead of realizing that. Whatever you're afraid of, you ought to be more afraid <laughs> yeah. of and have a healthy fear of God and mm -hmm. what he's called us to. Yeah. Good. Other thoughts? <coughs> persecution I mean I think it's obvious that it glorifies God because we we're willing to suffer to obey him right it's costly obedience kind of like what you're talking about like we actually pick up our cross and we find joy in it the other thing too is I mean there's like the the intent there's this intimidation barrier that the world and Satan has set up to try to protect its own right but when you're willing to penetrate that barrier and suffer to get to those people who are more open to it than you realize I mean, it really is a rescue mission. And it's an attempt to try to rescue them from their sin, but you have to kind of go through that intimidation barrier to do that. And you do that enough times, you realize that it's really more bark than bite, and that suffering and what they're promising is not as scary as you think it is. Um, but you just kind of have to break through it a few times to realize that. Does that make sense? So yeah, suffering is not something, um, I'm not saying rush to be a martyr. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't avoid suffering, sometimes that's judicious to do so. Um, the church in Acts, I mean, they would scatter mm -hmm. because they were being persecuted, right? So th there, is, there is a time to do that. Um, for changing your tactics, you know, maybe going in, you know, not guns blazing right away so the natives spear you right away you know, trying to work to build a relationship. Um, you try to avoid it within sanctified reason. Does that make sense? Yeah, so one good one example is one of the um, overseas trips we went on. It was to countries that were technically closed, like you couldn't get a missionary visa, uh -huh. right? And so you, you're not being dishonest, right? You seek a way, so we would... Yeah. Right, we would go and offer a service. We're going to teach English mm -hmm. and work with the university, and so we go do that. Yeah, and we are genuinely doing that, and then that gives us an opportunity to then, outside those opportunities and midst of those relationships, yeah. then share the gospel. So you're trying to be strategic yeah. in how you can get get 
that message. Though. Yeah, I think the motivation is being strategic, not to avoid suffering. Right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like if you got the ball, you're playing basketball, you don't take the three-quarter shot. You try to work it in as close to the basket as, as possible, and then you take the shot. And so I think it is with suffering. It's like suffering doesn't dictate whether or not you do it. It's like I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to lay it on the line. Still go for it. But I want to be strategic about how you're motivated more by strategy than um, selfishness and wanting to avoid suffering. Does that make sense? Right. Well, and we may we may not see the good this side of heaven either. Yeah. I think understanding that it is a step of faith, and we may not see it. We mm -hmm. may suffer, and we may not see the results, but we are promised rewards in heaven. Yeah. If if we act in obedience, mm -hmm. and I, and that's really what we're called to. Yeah. We're not called to converting the world. We're called to yeah. presenting the message, which is what yeah what Paul did. Yeah. Okay, well, we didn't really get that far, but hopefully this was a good discussion. So I think our goal is to try to finish up next week, and then we'll start how to study the Bible. So next week is going to be good. We're going to talk about changing your view of conversion, the gospel power, and then I'm going to kind of just give some just practical tips of how do you like transition to a gospel conversation? How do you, how do you get the conversation going? Okay, so let me pray, and then I'll let you guys go. Well, Father, I do thank you for just the testimony of Paul and others who were so bold in sharing the gospel, and they were not afraid of suffering. They had a theology where they saw it as a good thing. So, Lord, help us to be shrewd in that regard. Lord, I pray that you might even give us some opportunities to share the gospel, that you might give us some open doors and give us the courage to follow through, and that you'll just use the men and women in this room to make a powerful impact for the gospel in Emporia. In Christ's name, amen. amen.